we're sorry to announce that contrary to earlier reports, US F1 will not be able to take part in this podcast. Hello, welcome to The Speed Show. It's a new way of describing it. I'm The Speed Man, he's The Speed Man. Hello. And he's The Speed Man. Hello. You haven't got names. We are The Speed Man. We are The Speed Man. <laughs> and we love cars. Do you love cars? Do you yeah, love cars? I'm pretty fond of them. I love, do you love cars, Richard, by any chance? You do love cars. You love British cars, don't I you? I think in, oh, I like all cars. I, I was going to say, I think one of the ways in which you know you love cars is that you could find browsing on the Auto Trader website a recreational habit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I was doing today. Mm. I suddenly realised that uh, Mercedes E55s, mm-hmm. the supercharged ones, mm-hmm. uh, are surprisingly cheap. When I say cheap, of course, I mean cheap compared to what they cost nearly. Originally, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also it's a source of false economy, because in a way, to put it in perspective, I'm talking about the, the, the old shape E-Class, the one that's sort of quite recently been replaced mm. yeah. and was around from the sort of early 2000s until uh, last year. And the E55 version, I remember driving sort of when it was relatively new, and it was one of the best cars that I drove around that time. I mean, by a mile, it was, it was just a superb piece of weaponry. And they were, what, 60, 70 grand new. And now they're down to the 15 mark. No. So when I say cheap, I'm talking in relative terms, but that is a lot of car for the money. That's, yeah. You know, have you also noticed how expensive new cars are? Well, I was just going to say, you know, moment. 15 grand isn't cheap exactly, but no. it's what you might no. well be spending on a new car. I mean, yeah. Have you got a car? I'm just going to go and get a car mag. Uh, yeah, I'll get you one. Get the job. Auto uh, car. Uh, order car that. over there. Auto car. Perfect. Car's good. Yeah. We'll take a look at that. It's got listings in the back, so here yeah. we go. How much? This is a good question, actually, because don't, don't look in there, Gareth. All right, okay. I'm going to ask you a question, Come and on, I then. want your honest yeah, no answer sheets. without you having seen the answers first. How much is an entry-level focus, do you imagine? Without wow. discounts or scrappage or anything like that. Entry-level focus. So it's, uh, what's the smallest engine these days? 1.4 in a focus or 1.6? Well, 6? I thought 2. that, but it turns out it's a 1.6 now. 1.6. Uh, okay, um, I'd say it's probably 16,500, isn't it? I would have gone a little lower, 14,500. I'd have gone closer to Zog. However, the answer, at least according to Autocar, we should probably check this before, but uh, yeah, sorry, is £17,870 there you pounds go. Well, yeah. for a Focus okay. 1.6 wow, style five-door. There is a three-door. You see, the three-door, actually, there isn't a style. They don't do a bog. You remember in the old days when the three-door was the basic model, but now yeah. three-doors are sort of sporty. Yeah, that's so what there isn't, done, The three-door yeah. range kicks off with the ZTEC. So there you go. The cheapest oh. Focus you can get is a five-door hatchback, and it's nearly £18,000. Now, in that's my head, medium-sized hatchbacks start at, like you said, well, yeah. I'd say these days, allow for a bit of inflation and all that, uh, 13 or 14 grand. Yeah. Not yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, basically, I don't think y- you can get without discount uh, a Fiesta or a Yaris or a Micro or anything like that mm. for much around 10 you know 10's where they kick off and it's like well, so they, they tend to have more equipment get. on these days you know, they, they do it's true and of course you know there are, there are a lot of discounts flying around because they want them to be your business or they'll yeah. do your scrappage deal it's just been extended again hasn't it to March so mm. but my point being that and you know I'm a bit of a sucker for a big powerful saloon car with yes. an automatic gearbox where you just you gently depress your foot and and then things in the distance suddenly become things that are really close and I love all that and I like a supercharger so my two favourite big saloons are the E55 and the Jaguar XJR 
the the aluminium one that's just stopped being made, and they are fifteen thousand pounds for it. They really? They're actually, I saw one for ten thousand pounds. And it's the same five litre supercharged engine in the XJR as the XFR currently, uh, isn't it? I think. No, no, it's not. No? But I can see where you're trying to link to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the old four point two in those. But that's okay. still, it's still a yeah. decent engine. However, I'm glad you brought up the XFR, Gareth, because I believe that you've been driving it. Thank you, Richard. Yes, that's right. <laughs> one of the greatest things that happened in my life in the last few months was the pleasure of spending a week in a, a red Jaguar XFR, uh, which... Oh, God, it was great. So what was it like? Oh, <laughs> God, it was... Do you know what, You know the best girlfriend you've ever had? It's like a... Really great. Um, I could wax lyrical here, but actually, while I was driving this car between North Wales and London, I got my recorder out and recorded my initial thoughts of the car after the first few days. I really like the suede interior covering to the A pillars. Very nice. It's an interesting colour, a kind of uh, almost indigo black. Uh, the cruise control works rather well as well. It has fairly easy to understand controls on the spokes of the steering wheel easier than the Mercedes I drove recently um, I find that the adjustment of the speed is a little slow you know it's a click for probably two miles per hour maybe it should be a click for five miles per hour because it means quite a lot of rolling up and down if you want to alter your speed the information entertainment system works rather well touch screen is nice and intuitive it works great with my mobile phone it's paired up to it very nicely because it's quite a hard sprung car because it's the R version touch screen is a little tricky to use sometimes although the button areas are nice and large where I guess iPhone users wouldn't find it too difficult I think I might prefer hard buttons on the dashboard somewhere to press rather than the screen but navigation works great it is a deliciously uncompromised car in that you can smooth along in a kind of wafty Jaguar way and then if the need comes to you, you can just use the pedal shifts to knock down a couple of gears and off the little red devil goes at an incredible pace. And my gosh, it's sticky. Almost as sticky as that Exige I drove. Slightly bugs me that the adjustment for the memory for the driver's seat position is in a different place to the actual seat adjustment itself. The seat adjustment is on the seat, that's logical, but the memory is actually on the door and it took me a little while to work out where that was, but I've only been driving the car three days and it took me three days to work that out. I like the fact that it's got three cup holders alongside me, that's something. I like everything about this car. I'd prefer it if it had tan colour seats instead of black. Being black makes it very much a BMW M series kind of thing and I think it should retain just a little more of the Jaguar DNA but I'm sure tan is an option. I think it worked rather well with the red colour of this particular car. I also like the proximity alerts that you get in the wing mirrors. The wing mirrors have a little yellow indicator that shows up when there's a car alongside you in your blind spot and it's very useful. Not this car has much of a blind spot. It has its faults though, this car. Three things come to my attention over the three days. The first one 
is that I think the front bumper is slightly loose. I noticed that there was quite a panel gap that there shouldn't be. And so uh, I've had to sort of click it back into position several times. And I definitely haven't touched anything because the proximity alert and the parking is so good. There's no danger of you touching anything. And I know I haven't. Um, the bonnet seems to rise up slightly at ultrasonic speeds. That makes me a little nervous about going quickly. And once, and only once, after I retracted the wing mirrors at a service station, the wing mirrors failed to come out again. So I had to pull over and physically push them out manually, but that doesn't seem to have been a problem again, unless there's a button somewhere that I've missed. And there are quite a lot of buttons on the dashboard. The controls for the sat-nav and the comms and everything require you to press a back button when you want to get out of navigation into comms mode to make calls and things. But these really are very minor little observations and it's kind of like assessing a new girlfriend and finding out that you think you might prefer her with shoulder length hair rather than, I don't know, short hair cut around the back of her ears. But you still quite like her even with short hair. This is an extraordinary car. It's fantastic. Possibly the single most useful car I've ever driven because... In five miles, there is heavy traffic. Okay, in five miles there's heavy traffic. That means I better drive more quickly now and pay attention to it, I suppose. It's the most uncompromised car I've ever driven in that it goes as quick as an Elise. Its top speed is limited to 155. I think that might be enough but you can uh, carry your family in it. So I suppose you could call this car a off car. And it's not just a off car, it's and take your family with you. Wonderful. Well done, Jack. So apart from those small, small issues, the fact that the wing mirrors were a bit dodgy and the bonnet looked like it was going to lift off and the front bumper was a bit loose. And actually, I can justify all this. Do you know who had the car before me? Go on. Tiffany Dell, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a press car. And as you know, press cars often get fairly battered. Yeah. yeah, they do also get looked after in as much as they take them back to the workshop and they're given a good going over. However, uh, you do sometimes see this where you'll see sort of older car advertised and it'll say the original press demonstrator. Yeah. I mean, if it is something like a Bristol and it's from the 70s, well, you think actually that's been rebuilt and, yeah. and it won't have been treated badly and probably Tony Crook only lent it to one journalist who wasn't really a journalist because he hated the press. That's the <laughs> problem if you're buying a Bristol. But you'd sometimes see it for something more recent and you'll think... Maybe press that, yeah, car. You a... mean it's been ragged to within an inch of its life mm. over and over again and although it's been at the same time very, very carefully looked after and some manufacturers... Some. I'm not going to name any names, even though I know a few things do actually build press cars a bit more carefully. Then. <sighs> There's one. Take, take the best one off the line or something. Yeah, there. well, they just tend to make sure they're absolutely tippity-top. Yeah, and there are yeah. certain, there's some things that are sort of apocryphal stories, you know, extra soundproofing. There's a story, certainly, I know a couple of things. One, a car manufacturer that used to run slightly different ECUs in the press cars. Ah, this sort of bespoke to make sure they were absolutely in fine fettle. Hmm. And secondly, there was another company that used to send all their press cars through the paint shop twice to get an extra layer of lacquer on them. There's <laughs> no harm in that. It's not, that's quite clever because they look better in photos. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, it but it is a bit of a cheat. It is a bit of a cheat. And there's one, but they used to completely rebuild the suspension with different specification parts in it that were more expensive. Hang on. Yeah. Richard usually says something at this point, but I'm going to ask Zog to do <clears> it this <throat> time. It's TV's Violet Berlin. Hey! <laughs> Hello, V. Thank you. Hello. I 
couldn't help overhearing, and I have a question for Richard. Yes. Which is, if you were thinking of buying a car yes. and you could buy an express car, yeah. would it be good to buy it because it had been made more carefully or was more shiny? Yeah. Or, crucially, would it be bad to buy it because the journalists who drive them treat them worse than hire cars? Well, I don't know. I, well, first of all, I hope I, I know some journalists probably do. I I don't. You don't, do you? I, th- no, I think I, I, someone's I, lent you a nice car for a week. Yeah, you treat it with respect. Yeah. And you send it back, and it, you don't leave. You know, apple cores in the door bins and things like that. <laughs> I'm speaking about I someone I know who does do that. I, I wasn't thinking of apple cores in the door. No, bins. but also just treat it like ragged. Yeah, drive it like yeah. you hired it. Yeah. Um, mm. I do it on the on the car. Nissan GTR press car. Don't go near. It will have been thrashed. Absolutely thrashed because it's that kind of car. Ford Focus RS, you know, the Ford press garage will have replaced the clutch on that several times, but that's fine. So you'll know the clutch is probably good because it's brand new and it'll be the seventh one it's had, but other minor components that don't wear noticeably over the sort of few months it's on the press fleet will have taken a battering nonetheless. If it's, I don't know, a Nissan Micra, well, they don't take those down to Millbrook and try and get a 0 to 60 time out of the most time. <laughs> Someone from the Sheffield Evening Badger will have pottered around it a bit to write a review. So that's okay. Once when I worked on Old Top Gear, we got a letter from somebody who went, Oh, I saw a montage of stuff on your programme and it featured a Rover Metro. And I couldn't help noticing it's my wife's car. What's going on? And I look back and I'm like, Oh, you stole it. It was some footage that was taken from Top Gear's original test of when the Rover Metro came out in 1990. And obviously, after it had been a press car and been, in this case, pottered around by Chris Goffin. And the first thing you notice, nice. I'm wearing a jumper. Yeah, controls fall, his little hand. <laughs> and uh, his big beard and his big jumper. And and I'm sure a lot of other journalists with beards and jumpers potted around in it. Uh, and then it was sold. And this bloke had bought it third hand for his wife. And he went, should I be worried about this? Because you know I didn't realise it had been a press car. But the thing is, those original Rover Metro press cars were pretty much hand-built. And they were... Mm. A lot better made, perhaps, than the ones so we've had. To, yeah. to take yeah, what Violet's saying and to ask that question again in a slightly different way, should I be worried that there were a few faults with that fantastic car I drove? I think that car's had a knock. Mm. Someone's driven that car into something. Actually, that brings me on to something else that I want to talk about at some point. There's a few cars at the moment that, no matter how many times you see them around, you always do a double take just to take in the fact that they're really nice looking cars. One mm. is the new Fiesta. Yeah, you see them around all the yep. time now. A lot of detail. Always, there's a lot to take in on that car, and yeah. it, it does not get any less good looking. That's the mm. best looking small car out there at the moment, and really handsome as well. It's not sort of cutesy. It's it's a proper nice looking car. I think mm. nice detailing. The other is the Jag XF, which I still think is one hell of a good looking car. Mm. And I never get bored. They, of my at head that. snaps yeah. around every time. And the thing I like about it is the way that it hides its bulk because it is yeah. quite a big car, but it just doesn't seem it when you drive it, when you look at it, but when you get in it, you go, wow, this is you know mm. full. Granada in the back, it's absolutely fab. Um, like a Ford Granada in the back, <laughs> well, <laughs> in a good way, in a good way, yeah. Yes. yeah but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good looking car, but I've never seen one with what appeared to be an ill fitting front bumper. I mm. think someone's nudged that, bust some of the clips, and they're not held they on properly, yeah. They, they haven't held on properly, yeah. and I don't know, it, it's, or, or um, it's had a real bump which is probably why some other bits aren't working properly. Because mm. uh, if the bonnet is, is moving around at speed, I've driven that car, mm. and mm. I never noticed that. I mean, mm. unlike a Ford Mustang, where they all do that. It looked like it was bulging. It really looked yeah, like it was going to go. Yeah, that sounds like it's had a bit of a bump. Anyway, that car, regardless of its faults, was 
utterly, utterly intoxicating. Apart from the 17 miles per gallon average I got out mm-hmm. of it, which was a bit of a disappointment. But you know what? One of the questions that they ask people who like cars is, when was the last time you got up early just <laughs> to go for a drive? Yeah. yeah. And that XFR was that car. And it also, I did something like a 200-mile detour between North Wales and London, which is quite an achievement. <laughs> I went off to Peterborough yeah, and all yeah, over the yeah. place, showing off in the car. I haven't done that for a while, but I used to do that sometimes where I'd just go, do you know what? I've never been to King's Lynn. I'll go and have a look. <laughs> going, was like, you go, yeah. oh, I'm here now. Oh, it's all right. I'll go home again. But it was just, just because you want to drive it. I haven't driven a car for like five, six days. You know, I'm working at home at the moment. I haven't driven, I haven't driven a car. I've, I've gone and hidden my Mercedes in the underground car park at the BBC because otherwise it's going to get a parking ticket so I'm not even I can't even just go out and get in the car the oh. car's eight miles away oh. and I'm going ma- away this week I haven't driven a car I'm starting to feel a bit weird oh. that I haven't driven a car even in London where driving's not a great deal of fun but just the act of driving I haven't done it well, you remember the sequence don't you sit down put the key in put the seatbelt on oh you see that's where I was last signal time I, I was standing the, up you know. yeah. mm. so I, I love the, the Lexus at the moment. If oh, you're the right. Lexus is also in the underground car park of the BBC, where the battery's gone flat, which is the first time it's failed to proceed, mm. probably ever in its entire life. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Does anyone want to buy an old Lexus? Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll take an offer on it because, uh, as I think I mentioned on the show, I basically got it for free. But the thing is, I'm not using it, and it's a bit of a waste of a car that's still got some life left in it. So, if you'd like an old Lexus, because I've spent a bit of money on just getting it MOT and things like that, I will want some money for it. But you know, make me an offer, and we'll see what happens. Comedy offers you will be put on to sniff petrol under the heading list of twats, so don't even bother. <laughs> but if you seriously want an old Lexus, even if you come in with 50 quid, I'll consider it. All right, you can send it, you can email me, if you like. Should we yeah, email yeah. the show? Yeah, you can email, email on speed at garethjones.tv and I'll forward yeah. it to Richard. Or you, or you can email Best contact contact at sniffpetrol.com, either's good or both, because I'm sure Gareth would like to see who's going to be on the list of twats and who might be buying my Lexus. That's but yeah, you're fun. welcome to it. So now I want to wrap this up. I love the XFR. Despite those faults, I'm sure I can forgive it. I loved it so much, I could forgive anything that car and it was red oh lovely and oh, I can't wait to drive the XJ which I'm going to do in April I think are you? yeah oh, oh lovely mm. anyway, that's it that's all I wanted to say hello hello this is Tiffany Dell now look Jones look I gave that Jag back in perfect condition you trying to play me things that aren't my fault that's typical of you sort of people I know you think you're Nigel Mance or something look I've raced at Le Mans in a Jaguar I know I take care of guys in fact I've raced at Le Mans 14 times how many times have you raced at Le Mans I bet that's a big fat zero Jones so just go back and sort yourself out I did no harm at all to that Jaguar goodbye As you know, we don't rehearse or pretty much organise ourselves in any way before we start talking <laughs> on this programme. I don't think they can tell, honestly. I'm sure it sounds as, as polished as a turd. No. Um, <laughs> but I have to confess that earlier on we did a conversation where, Zog, you suggested an idea for the show about technology and cars, a theme for well, conversation. Well, yeah, we were talking about what we might do for this show and I was just saying we should maybe have a little chat about what kinds of technologies we might like to see coming in on cars of the future this doesn't have to be something that would actually work you know mm. it could be something mm-hmm. that's clearly ridiculous whether it's you know, the self-driving car the sort of the road train idea on mm-hmm. a motorway 
pretty boring from a driver's point of view, but quite yeah. but very, but very uh, practical from a, yeah. from a well, know, I, psychological I, point I, of view. Do you remember me saying how I drove uh, that Lexus uh, LS, whatever it was, 460, whatever it's called now, 420, I forget, 450? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it 600? Because it was That's the hybrid it. one. Yeah. That's it, thank you. From Derbyshire to London, with the adaptive cruise control, I literally set it when I got on mm. the motorway and then unset it. You know, I took my feet off the pedals when I arrived in London. It was gorgeous and that xfr i drove had excellent adaptive cruise that's science fiction for me now it sounds ridiculous but you could but it's almost an, there yeah, yeah if yeah. i found alexis uh, who was doing that i'd go and tuck in behind him or if i found another xfr i'd tuck in behind him and that would do me so it sounds like fantastic from even type 10 five years it's ago it's funny that because I, I haven't tried those adaptive cruise systems for um, well, when did they first come out? You had a Mercury C-Class with it once, didn't you, a long time ago? I remember I had a, a Jaguar with it, and I had a BMW 7 Series with it, uh, and a Mercury. I definitely drove, sort of, they were the three who had it first, I think. And so I think Jaguar just there first, and then probably Mercedes and then BMW, I don't forget. But I like the fact, I did it with the Merc. It's an amazing thing that you can be on the motorway, and then you suddenly tuck into the inside lane behind a truck, and it'll do a massive yeah. hard-on-the-anchors thing. And that I found quite reassuring. Mm. But what I didn't like about them back then, I think that's because they were the first-generation systems, I found them a bit fidgety. They were always just, you felt them just, just dabbing the brakes. And I started to think, I bet they're just dabbing the brakes. It means the brake lights are coming on, which is making me look like a really inept driver, because there's nothing that annoys me more than people who are always dabbing their brakes on the motorway because it means they're not driving properly mm-hmm. on the motorway. Mm-hmm. They're not, not driving enough a gap, they're not yeah. anticipating yeah. enough. They're inept. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing is often you get, and they're usually in some kind of turbo diesel Audi at the moment, it seems, <laughs> but there's someone who's such a lane-hogging bumper hugger that they're constantly, the brake lights just dab brakes, dab brakes, dab brakes. It's because they're three mil from the car in front. Mm. And if they weren't such a stupid gurning moron, they wouldn't need to touch the brakes at all because you mm. don't on a, on a free-flowing motorway which I grant you isn't always that often. And so I gave up on adaptive cruise, and I, when I've driven cars that have got it, I've never even bothered to try it because I've assumed it'll just irritate me and make it's me look like I can't days. drive. I, 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 well, yeah, I bet we're probably on like third, fourth generation systems now. So yeah, I bet they're, they're perfectly good. So if it wasn't adaptive cruise, what technology would you have on a car, Richard? I don't know. What I do think is, you know now, we've sort of got to a point where we crave immediacy and we get frustrated when things aren't I'm talking about for example just before we started recording I was telling you about a Will Ferrell sketch from Saturday Night Live yes and then I just went and found it on the internet yeah Yeah. and if I couldn't have found it I'd have found it slightly irritating you know it's like a song pops into your head and between YouTube and Spotify which if you haven't got um, is a glorious wonderful thing yeah Yeah, it's a really great thing at the moment they're not letting people join unless you get an invitation or something anyway we we digress I think think there are easy ways around that yeah Yeah. okay Um, so mini Spotify edition well exactly that's the thing I think this is you want this accessibility to the things that make your life more pleasant. And for me, and I guess all of us, that one of those things is a bit of access to music and the music we love, but also access to new music. Hmm. or Net or just access. Net access. Well, yeah, not when you're driving along, but there is that. What I'm thinking but is, what I want is a complete to... integration of all the electronic stuff I own. It's why I like the iPhone. It's not because, mm-hmm. you know, people go, oh, you've got an iPhone because it's really trendy. And it's not, no, it's just, it's, you have to accept that all mobile phones are a bit rubbish in some way. Why not just have the one that's the least rubbish mm-hmm. and actually is rather good? And one of the things about it is that it just integrates so many things that, unfortunately, I need to carry with me or want to carry with me. My diary, my iPod, and my phone immediately condensed into one little box. Plus, it has the benefit of it gets my email and I can go on the internet. Now, I'd like that in my car as well. Mm-hmm. Well, which actually you can sort of have. So that, integrated 
systems of that ilk mm-hmm. I like. But in those kind of integrated systems, the detail really matters. Mm, and, mm. and I mean, mentioning the iPhone, that's a good example of how integrating a lot of functions can work really well. If you put enough attention into getting your user interface right, getting the yeah. usability right, yeah. equally you could combine exactly the same functions that you have in the iPhone, and some other devices do it, but if you don't integrate them well enough if your software isn't just right. And it can be really tiny things that mm. mess it up. But it will get messed up. It becomes frustrating to use rather than simple to use. And then you hate it rather than loving it. Wasn't that the theory behind the original iPod was that nothing should be more than three moves away or something? You know, I'm wasn't not what sure, you wanted mate, to do. Uh, you in New Zealand, you're only two people away from someone else in New Zealand. Two, two people, two people away from one of your relatives. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> is that what it is? But there's three sheep Isn't in the gap like as well. In <laughs> London, where you're never more than three meters away from a rat, or so. I don't Which know. is clearly, obviously, not true because if, say, if, you, if you stand on top a of a ladder yeah. in the middle of you know, <laughs> a car park, you are clearly more than three <laughs> feet from a rat. Really you know? bad news for hot air balloonists, though. Where they're going, ah, no rats up here. Ah, there is one in the basket. Ah. Um, but I, I just, I, I, this is the thing. You're right. The design is, is, is all, and I think that's where car makers go badly wrong. Where I mean, the classic one is the much moaned about BMW iDrive system, yes, where the they were taking iDrive. functions. Which you notice that it's, it's really funny that they've sort of gradually, essentially, taken what was a very, very pure, albeit flawed, and ultimately quite rubbish and annoying concept, and gradually, gradually watered it down. So they started by putting some extra buttons around it, and now it's sort of they've, they've gradually gone. Okay, well, to uh, adjust the, uh, the the way that the, the ventilation system works, it used to be on the iDrive, but we'll put that back on a button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And on the radio tuning, yeah, it used to be on the driver. We'll put that back on some buttons now. And it's like they've actually gone back to more buttons because of this. The well, trouble with iDrive shows it was wrong. Yeah. Well, the trouble with iDrive, Apple done it. it. It was trying to. That, in- that, yes, that's it. You, you uh, want Apple to think. iDrive was trying to integrate far too many systems on yeah. that one that knurled knob. It, just too much. Too much, and that's mm, yeah. that's the thing. I think that's you need someone who understands. I don't know. Is it ergonomics or is there another word for it? It's not ergonomics, is it? I, th- I think there's. I think there's a more specialised name for that. Er- ergonomics would have to do with the, the use of a physical object. It's like sort of with this, flow it's, diagram uh, type user experience or user. Oh, that's they call user or, interface, don't they? Is that the same thing or is that something else? Well, like yeah. The, I mean, the user interface is the whole thing, but the, is it? Because uh, I'll tell you something it's, else. It's all to do with information architecture. And, you know, uh, information architecture. That's it. Information architecture. That well, neither was a buzz thing. Yeah, well, but you know how you were saying about the XFR and the touchscreen in it. I saw you, you yeah. heard you saying that, you, that that was good. Yeah, uh, it's good, but tricky with the bouncy. Yeah, it was so, just, when you set it on sport, it's very hard. Oh, the R's all I over. Know, the and I don't think it's responsive enough. And I think I sort of we were sort of okay with that. But then mm. again, I'm sorry to keep going on about the iPhone, yeah. but it is just a good bit of kit, and the, the touchscreen on it is, is is superb. Yep. There's nothing else that has a. Touch it's all right when good. you're holding it in your hand and you're in a car because your whole thing is moving. Yeah, in but the sync. sensitivity and the accuracy of the of the screen on the iPhone, I think, is set. It was it's sort of, probably it's just a different level of technology. It's a new sort of next generation of whatever the film is that makes them work. Um, I always thought the one in in all cars actually that I've tried with a touchscreen it's just a bit there's that bit where you press it and then you go oh it hasn't worked and then you end up sort of really mashing the end of your <laughs> finger into it and then the screen is incredibly greasy yeah, yeah, you've suddenly yeah. got the sun behind you one day and you 
driving down the road and you just go, oh my God, this just, it's, it just looks like the bottom of a frying pan on that Horrid. screen. It's really yeah. a ugly thing. The thing I like best about the XFR was the little dance, by the way, the, the knurled knob that is your gear control comes up and the, the air vents up. I've put a bit of video up for you guys to see if you're wondering why that was there. I had to share that with you. But sorry, that technology I like, that's a surprise and delight feature. Mm. Right, what, Zog, what would be your surprise and delight feature technology? Is it something sophisticated well, uh, or novel? I don't know if this is a surprise and delight, but in my fevered imagination is coming uh, to cars in the future, is some way of expressing on the outside of a vehicle on a larger scale what's happening on the face of the driver. Um, <laughs> I now, like th- that idea. This is, I, I mean, maybe, Why? Maybe you've got some sort of LED panel arrangement or holograms. Okay, you've got some yeah. holographic projection of your head on top of your car. <laughs> now, <laughs> you're just going to have traffic jams you're full thinking, of people like seven feet high heads picking their noses. Yeah, or is this I, just because you want to call people a Okay, so this is, you, see, you, you see, you're thinking this is some terrible vision of hell. Okay, the reason why this might actually be a good idea is just think about how much information you get from when you're driving in traffic and whether you're deciding, to, you know, whether you're going to let someone out of a side street or whether yep. you're the person coming out of the side street and you're mm. not sure whether someone's going to let you into the flow of traffic. Yep. You're turning right, somebody else is going to turn right at a junction. You're not sure whether they're going to do the near side to near side or off side to off side. Mm. All these... So many of these little things that are very important in everyday driving are cleared up the moment you get a bit of eye contact or you realise where somebody is looking. Yes, Um, that's true. And if all of a sudden your head is in some way projected enormously on the outside of your vehicle, obviously it looks ridiculous. Obviously it's kind of, (laughs) you know, a bit like you've you've just dropped acid and you're entering some sort of hellish world of of nightmarish urban traffic. But actually, I think it could work. It's not such a dumb idea. Just your own head, but sort of twice the size, projected as a hologram. That floated. Th- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Car. Is that that's what you're Sorry, that's, oh, I see, that's I what I was you meant like before. Where the whole sort of like the bonnet of the car had your face on it, but I suppose depending on the angle oh, that, of the bonnet would. Yeah, oh, I, I see what you mean. Now the hologram idea, I like. A I lot think more. the hologram, yeah, yeah, above floating the car. Even, but, yeah. but you know what? Who, who should mm. market that? You know the people who make the, the London taxi. Yes. Metro uh, Yeah, LTI. Yeah. Car bodies. Isn't it? Uh, not anymore, no. Ah, oh, was. Oh, in that case, yeah, it has sport mode. It's just car bodies because you've got a head, which uh, seemingly with a right, car, car for a body. Uh, um, but I was thinking yeah. also about police cars because hilariously they would have them like a policeman's head, but then a light on top of that as well. Yeah, they are. And he, <laughs> but maybe they should force the policeman. He, he should have to, to have mime actual- along. To the siren, and you actually and, and you make the policeman wear an actual light on yes. his head inside the oh, car. Oh, this idea gets better and better. You see, you see. Can I, I just say I, something? I, that I, I, I can see in your eyes you weren't quite convinced before. No, I am now. I'm really oh, behind gee, you on this, good, even good. though I will personally disconnect the system because it'd be a bit weird. So how like privacy work out? But just something I've remembered on a not dissimilar tip because I always thought you know we have indicators left and right. Why don't we have the I'm going straight on light? I agree. Yeah, good. I've yeah, always thought that. Sorry, I'll wrap this up. But one more thing that you could do right now it's not complicated I want an indicator on the back of every car that tells you what gear that car is in so you see when they change gear because uh-huh. then you would get an idea of if someone was really going for it it's like yeah. oh my god he's really holding it in second isn't he and yeah. also if somebody's making a mess of their gear changing it's like what we're doing 10 miles now why are they in fifth oh it's a minicab then right. you don't have an understanding of what kind of driver they were and you'd know if you should be wary I want two things yeah. I want an indicator on the rear of the car in front which 
tells me when the driver's eye line is outside the shape of the front windscreen. Mm. So immediately he's looking down at the... Okay, that bloke's not concentrating. I'd like that one. That's a nice one, yeah. And most of all, what I would like is a car made out of a memory metal. Mm. So my poor old Sora, which has got dings in it from being parked Uh, in London, you know, within a couple of days would have grown back that little ding that it had before that dent and would now be as good as new. I think the technology exists to do that. I think it probably does. Come on, car makers, pull your finger out. You've been listening to Gareth Jones, Richard Porter. Goodbye. And Zog. Goodbye. Now, usually I introduce a song at this stage, but because this is Richard's baby, you can do it. Yeah, after a, a short absence, that is the return of the Gareth Jones on Speed in-house 1980s synthesizer duo, the Pit Stop Boys. And this song is called Nobody Likes X-Fives. do a lot of work for charity and have once saved some orphans from inside a burning flat. But the very second you buy a 4x4 with a blue and white propeller on the front, everyone will just assume you're a twat. You could be a retired war criminal or someone who lists their hobby as stringing kittens up by their feet. I can guarantee you'll still be more popular than that bloke in a German SUV trying to get out of a side street. Wherever you go, however you drive, if you've got an X5, nobody likes you. Celebrity chefs and footballers' wives, if you've got an X5, then nobody likes you. You can be Jesus H. Christ, the Son of God, come back to save mankind from his sins. Accidentally did it in a lame off-roader from Munich. Even the Archbishop of Canterbury would call you a git. Wherever you go, however you drive, if you've got an X5, nobody likes you. They make rude signs and curse you're alive. If you've got an X5, then nobody likes you. Wherever you go, however you drive, if you've got an X5, Nobody likes you They drench it with phlegm And scratch it with knives If you've got an X5 But nobody likes you Nobody likes you Nobody likes you Wherever you go However you drive If you've got an X5 Nobody likes you Wherever you go However you drive, if you've got an X5, nobody likes you. Wherever you go, however you drive, if you've got an X5, nobody likes you. Wherever you go, however you drive, if you've got an X5, then nobody likes you. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Yeah.